you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. From the Moan Broadcast Center, this is Take Two. May Martinez, California Congressman Kevin McCarthy voted against certifying Joe Biden's win. During a House debate on whether to impeach Trump, McCarthy said Trump bore responsibility for the insurrection. This week, McCarthy said Trump did not provoke the mob and that he technically did not vote to overturn the election. We'll hear what might be behind all the back and forth. It's all ahead on Take Two. Stay with us. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Alaist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events. From 89.3 KPCC and KPCC.org, this is Take Two. I mean, Martinez, thanks for being with us. Got a great show today. We're going to dive in and kick it off as we do most Fridays with State of Affairs. That's our weekly look at politics in the Golden State. And joining us this week is Ange Marie Hancock Alfaro, professor of political science and gender studies at USC. Her latest book is titled African American Political Thought, Contestation and Change. We also have Carla Marinucci, senior writer for Political. Politico's California Playbook. Anjumarie and Carla, welcome back. Thank you. All right. Uh, a lot going on in California, but let's start with an eye toward uh, Washington, D.C. Governor Gavin Newsom is already trying to establish a better working relationship with uh, this White House than the previous White House, uh, now that uh, Joe Biden's in office. He sent uh, the White House a letter. Uh, Carla, what is in that letter? I mean, A, the, the letter was a gesture to put it on record that it's the end of an era in California, that the state is no longer going to be the state of resistance to the White House. Uh, it, as you know, California filed more than 100 lawsuits against the Trump administration, nine on, last week alone by uh, uh, AG Javier Becerra on his last day at work, uh, on Trump's last day at work. Uh, but Newsom basically is turning the page. He basically said that he wants Biden uh, to be a not a sparring partner, but a working partner with California. And he's offered President Biden his full support and partnership, not only on the COVID crisis where California is ground zero, but on a whole number of uh, programs that California has been kind of a national model. I think uh, you can look for high-speed rail, uh, homelessness efforts, uh, emission standards, and of course, uh, Biden's own efforts, uh, the rescue plan for American business and his work on the stimulus packages, all of these, Newsom says, uh, he wants to be front and center with Joe Biden. So big change in the relationship between California and the White House. Carl, I got to say, I, I kind of assumed that there would be a sp- uh, working partner <laughs> as opposed to a sparring partner. That's what was here before. So I, I, I don't understand why he felt he needed to send a letter that everyone thought was already assumed? <laughs> I think I think putting it on the record, look, Cal- California is going to be a powerhouse presence in the White House. It really can't be underestimated what's going to happen now that you have Kamala Harris, uh, the first woman and the first woman of color, who's just not going to be symbolic. She's not win- window dressing. She is an essential part of the team to Biden. And then you've got his cabinet. I think that tells you a lot about California's ranking and the importance of the Biden administration, whether it's uh, Janet Yellen at the Fed, Javier Becerra at Health and Human Services. He's going to be the front man on 
Healthcare, Jennifer Granholm at Energy. Uh, I, all of these folks are going to be, and let's, and let's not forget Senator uh, Alex Padilla, who is going to be key, not only on immigration, uh, but on so many other issues, you know, auto emissions, et cetera, that are important to California. So I think Newsom wanted to put down a marker uh, now that the administration is in place, uh, that that it is going yeah. to be a very different situation. He could have put a P.S. Do, stop taking the state's <laughs> leaders from the state. That could have been a P.S., yeah. but that's yeah. just me. Yes, All right. Exactly. Uh, Anj Marie, there, there's already so much on President Biden's plate as he comes into office and maybe uh, now 49 other letters from governors who want something from Joe Biden, uh, as well as the new Democratic Congress. So what do you see them being able to accomplish in these first 100 days? And, and what in particular might help Californians out right away? Well, I think there are two things um, that Californians will really benefit from with regard to what Congress can do to help President Biden's agenda. Um, the first is definitely, and I think it's surprising to a lot of folks who may not have been paying close attention because everything else has been going on, on immigration. Um, his It looks like that President Biden wants to cast all of his chips early on on some comprehensive immigration reform, um, which we really haven't had since 1986. Um, so that looks like that will be an important place that would really, again, have an impact on California and Californians. And then the second piece in the first 100 days is this new expansion of the CARES Act, so kind of CARES Act Part 2. Um, and that funding, um, whether it's, you know, around COVID support or whether it's the extension of housing supports, um, both of those things are going to really help Californians. And because, Anjumari, California is the biggest state in the nation, they, they, they would almost just absorb it, right? Absorb the help just because of their size. I think, you know, again, we would be well poised, um, particularly if there is, you know, some kind of proportional allocation, as there often is, um, to absorb so much of those benefits, which is why, again, we're really going to be looking at whether the California delegation um, will put that first um, or will they put, you know, kind of party politics first? Yeah. Now, you know, Governor Gavin Newsom might need a little help with his own political profile. Carla, he, he's facing criticism from the right, from the left, from the middle about his handling uh, of the pandemic. And just this week, a group of 50 restaurants and, and wineries in the Bay Area filed a lawsuit against the state's ban on in-person uh, dining. Um, is Newsom really just stuck between a rock and a hard place on, on lockdown restrictions? Yes, I mean, absolutely. Look, this issue of outdoor dining has been a real sore point, A, because, you know, on the business side, these restaurants are saying it's a difference between survival and closure. Uh, and on the health side, there's a coalition that says that maybe the governor and the state health department haven't provided enough scientific evidence showing that outdoor dining is more dangerous. And you do have some health experts that are saying that some of these health directives that have been put down by California, whether it's closure of playgrounds or ban on outdoor dining, have actually maybe hurt more than they've helped, that, that people have sort of uh, thrown out a lot of the old um, um, suggestions that they that they stay home, that they have just gotten too tired and too overwhelmed with these orders. Uh, a couple of uh, infectious disease experts say that it's highly likely that some of these closures may have contributed. So on that front and on so many other legal fronts, I mean, Newsom has gotten hit by whether it's religious groups, whether it's business groups, civic groups, all in some form suggesting the state has violated equal protection laws uh, with some of these tough COVID shutdowns. So he is he has taken a lot on the front uh, when it comes to the COVID shutdowns and the vaccines, of course. Yeah, the vaccine rollout. Newsom is taking a ton of criticism for it. But Andre, I'm wondering, considering that this week we find out that uh, the Biden administration was not left any rollout plan by the Trump administration. How much do you think falls on Newsom? How much do you think falls on what uh, wasn't there from the Trump uh, White House on handling the vaccine distribution process? Well, I think certainly Gavin Newsom is hoping that most people will blame the fact that there was no plan for rollout um, on this you know, very ineffective rollout that's happened in California. But I, I do think that there is a little bit of responsibility on his shoulders with regard to really making sure that the places that are hardest hit, right, are actually getting the vaccine that they need. Um, so again, back to that point of proportionality. Um, so, you know, the fact that LA has already run out um, and we're still not able to get, you know, the vaccine to the people who really need it um, is not something that is really, 
going from the Trump administration, that's from the governor's office, you know, once the, the state of California receives its vaccines. Um, so I think we really, there's some blame that goes around to all facts. Yeah, and, and Anjum, I don't think Gavin Newsom would get away with saying, well, Trump didn't have a plan. I mean, <laughs> imagine if that's something that actually came out of his mouth. Uh, I don't think. Well, yeah, I think that. that's true. And I think the other piece that's true is that, you know, you could blame Trump until January 21st. And it's now January 22nd. <laughs> and so this will fall squarely on his shoulders if it doesn't roll out effectively going forward. Yeah, he probably should have been prepared for no plan, considering, <laughs> considering you know. Now, because of these troubles uh, facing Newsom, state Republicans think it might be the time for them to strike. So, Carla, tell us about this new group, uh, Rescue California. I mean, that's right. A, this is a group of California Republicans who are headed by the former state party chair, Tom Del Bocaro, who think that this is the time to strike when it comes to a recall. And they've got some big names like San Diego, former San Diego Mayor Kevin Falconer and millionaire businessman John Cox, who ran against Newsom last time. Both of those two appeared together at a Rescue California fundraiser this week. I mean, it kind of shows that the Republican Party is putting Trump in the rearview mirror. They're not focusing on him. They are aiming strictly at Newsom. They have the ammunition in that slow vaccine rollout. They are using that against Newsom, the business impacts, the school impacts. And look, it is a long shot effort. They need to raise at least maybe $3 million if they want to collect the 1.5 million signatures they need by mid-March to qualify this recall. According to the Secretary of State, they may have somewhere around 700,000 in the bank, but that's a lot to get in the next two months. So Newsom is up for a re-election in 2022. The Republicans say they don't want to wait for that. They're aiming for him for next year with a recall election, they hope, by the summer sometime. Now, speaking of Rescue California, some California Republicans might need uh, some rescuing. So let's start with uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who voted against certifying Joe Biden's win. And after the insurrection at the Capitol by uh, pro-Trump supporters on the floor of the House, McCarthy said what probably no one ever thought he would say. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. Okay, so that was then because this week McCarthy was asked if he thought Trump provoked the insurrection. I don't believe he provoked if you listen to what he said at the rally. Andre Marie Hancock, please untangle this for us. What do you think is going on with Kevin McCarthy? I think um, Kevin McCarthy, like most Republicans, um, even those who voted um, to decertify, um, are absolutely trying to do a dance. Um, I think they are trying to ride what they saw in terms of the national horror, in terms of how people saw what happened on January 6th. Um, and now they're trying to kind of go back to being the opposition party and to make sure that their base remains solid. Um, and so this is a real, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, tap dance. And Anjumri, one thing, too, he said after uh, saying that he doesn't believe Donald Trump provoked the rally, he was asked about the uh, vote to overturn, or at least to not to uh, to certify the election. He said that technically he did not vote to overturn an election because that wouldn't happen, that he signed up to an amicus to debate the constitutional question if Pennsylvania's legislature had the authority to change some of their uh, bylaws. Uh, so I, I, he keeps trying to do this circular kind of logic, eventually getting to a point, but it doesn't seem like the point is getting anywhere. Well, I think you're right that the point is not getting anywhere, um, but it also is really reflective of where the National Republican Party is right now. Um, they, uh, speaking of a rock and a hard place, I mean, they have a base that is energized as pro-Trump. And what they want to do is hold on to that base for any future elections, but they cannot hold on to that base and also expand that base. That's been shown. And so they really are between a rock and a hard place in terms of how they can justify these votes that were truly going to overturn the election, even if they don't want to admit that that's what would have happened had they gotten the majority. And McCarthy's base is the 23rd district. That makes up most of Kern County and Bakersfield. The Cook Partisan Voting Index rates it as the most GOP-leaning district in all of the Pacific states. This week, the Washington Post reported that many corporate backers of congressional Republicans who objected to the results would either suspend some or all of their PAC contributions. Uh, Carla, how much do you think Kevin McCarthy is being pulled in two different directions right now? His, his, his backers, his corporate backers, and his uh, his district. Exactly. That is exactly what's happening. That's why he, he is uh, turning himself into a political pretzel trying to navigate this thing. Uh, look, the, here in California, we can see the results. 
the California Republican Party is basically ignoring Trump, basically trying to kick him to the curb. Kevin McCarthy is is essentially trying to walk this tightrope between the Trumpicans, those who those grassroots supporters in his district who strongly still support Trump and the rest of the Republican Party that's hoping to move on, seeing that Trump is potentially a danger to uh, to the mainstream here. So it is a, it's a tough political war, internal war they're facing, eh? and it's uh, playing out in, on, on a number of different fronts right here in California. You mentioned the Trumplican. Someone just tweeted me that word just a few minutes ago. I didn't. I kind of understood what it meant, but then I had to kind of look at it too. But okay, so speaking of, of this kind of maybe morphed party, uh, Andre Marie, President Trump's uh, lasting influence on the Republican Party um, might have a, a new name. Uh, Wall Street Journal reported this week that Trump is thinking about forming a new political party, one that he would call the Patriot Party. So, Anjumarie, let's imagine for a second that this happens. Where do you think that would put his most ardent supporters in Congress, such as Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, or even Kevin McCarthy? You know, I think that they would have a choice as to whether or not they really want to go with him. Um, and so, My sense would be, again, just thinking about how some of these rollouts have happened in the past, um, that Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and Kevin McCarthy might express verbal support for some of these things, um, but not necessarily take away their Republican Party identity. Um, So so it's kind of a wait and see kind of attitude in the sense of, great if you can put it together, um, but since we're not sure that you can put it together, we're going to stick with the Republicans right now. Because again, setting up a new political party at the national level, the reason why it's not happened for so long is because it is phenomenally difficult to get folks in all 50 states, to get the funding, to get the infrastructure, you know, and to be able to actually then show up and compete against two very well-resourced parties. It's very difficult to do. Um, and so I think they're going to do the safe bet and stick with the Republicans. I mean, he did say we'll, we'll be back in some form. Uh, that's what he said right before he hopped on his plane heading to Florida. So maybe the Patriot Party is that form. Hey, you two, can you guys, I got one more question for both of you. Can you guys stick around a little while longer? Yeah, absolutely. All right, perfect. Uh, Dr. Angelie Hancock Alfaro, whose uh, latest book is called African American Political Thought, Contestation and Change, and Carla Marinucci, senior writer for Politico's California Playbook. That one big question is coming up when Take Two continues. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at las.com slash events. See you there. Harole is your connection to Los Angeles. Get to know its history. The 1920s were a huge boom time in Los Angeles, and downtown was just exploding. It's politics. It's the biggest local prosecutor's office in the country. And it's food. Korean spices with like a hint of sweetness. And just everything we love about L.A. Subscribe to How to L.A. from L.A. Studios wherever you listen to podcasts. Back now with more Take Two on 89.3 KPCC and wherever you get your podcasts, I'm A. Martinez. We're doing State of Affairs, our weekly look at politics in the Golden State. And this week we're joined by Carla Marinucci, senior writer for Politico's California Playbook. Also, Dr. Anj Marie Hancock-Alfaro, whose latest book is called African-American Political Thought, Contestation and Change. So I wanted to make sure uh, that we had time for this one last question, and and only because it is a history-making week for America, and specifically Kamala Harris. Uh, She just became the highest ranking woman in our nation's history. She's also a black. She's also South Asian. How do you think that she can redefine what power looks like in our country where power has almost exclusively been held by white men? Uh, Anja Marie, let's start with you. You know, I think she can define it by redefining where success comes from. Um, And so not just looking at kind of how she's going to wield power going forward, because she'll have a lot of it, that's for sure. Um, But noting that we don't always find power in the individuals, 
um, or in the schools or the places where we might look, right? So instead of looking at Harvard and Yale, you might want to look at an HBCU because then you see where Kamala Harris was educated for her undergraduate institution. You see someone who you might expect to be a criminal defense attorney, um, but she act actually ended up working in the prosecutor's office and rising to attorney general. So I think one of the things she will do is really redefine where we think success can come from. And we'll be reassessing a host of other people knowing that there are probably more like her someplace else. Carla, what about you? What do you think? Well, you know, A, this was a moment that women have waited for for generations, particularly women of color. And, and as Kamala Harris, born in Oakland, who's raised in Berkeley, her political skills were honed in the San Francisco Hall of Justice. And now she is there as the most powerful woman in the most powerful nation on earth. And I think that's a moment to reflect on. I mean, she comes with a whole set of experiences that have never been in that office before. Uh, she is somebody who has worked on issues on the street like criminal justice reform, working with youth offenders in her Smart on Crime program. She's, she's a skillful, savvy politician who's had to thread her way as a woman of color through a very difficult maze to reach the top. To, you know, not to say there haven't been bumps in the road for her, but, but her experience, and I have to say the experience of her family as a daughter of immigrants, she brings to the office the first gentleman. That alone yeah. is an interesting aspect of it, <laughs> Doug Emhoff, the attorney. So at this point, uh, all, the world is watching her. She knows that, and she's a partner with Biden. That's a big difference. That's going to be something to watch, not just for women, but for the world in the years ahead. And on this partnership with Biden, Anj Marie, she's second in command. I mean, that's almost as high as you can get. But we all know that it, you know, it's D.C. It's it's a place of power and men are still outnumber women there. How much will be, you think, Anj Marie, on Joe Biden to make sure that no one tries to lessen her voice? I think it's definitely on Joe Biden. Um, he will set the tone um, and he actually already has started to set the tone. Um, so if you'll recall on the inauguration day, you know, certainly uh, President Biden gave speeches, um, but there was also a direct address in the evening by Vice President Harris. And just think back in time, how many vice presidents did you hear deliver any kind of speech or public comments on inauguration day in the past? It doesn't normally happen. So I think he is trying to send a signal that she really is not to be ignored um, by those who would kind of elbow themselves um, out of, you know, uh, ahead of her. So on that, Carla, how much will she have to also, I don't know, lack of a better word, put some distance between herself and Biden eventually at some point to establish her own identity and not be part of the, the Biden administration? It's an interesting question, A, because, of course, from the moment she raised her hand and took that oath of office, people are already looking ahead to Kamala Harris as a future presidential candidate. She's going to have to be very careful to preserve her own identity, her own views. She's done, but she's done that all the way along, surrounded by very powerful men. So this is a woman who has beaten the political odds in every way to get where she is. And uh, I think we can count on her to continue to do that. All right. As, uh, as the years go by. Thanks. Carla Marinucci, senior writer for Politico's California Playbook. Dr. Ange Marie Hancock Alvaro, whose latest book is called African American Political Thought, Contestation and Change. Ange Marie, Carla, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Thank Thanks you. You too. All right, moving on now to some pretty big news this morning. California Attorney General Javier Becerra announced he's launching a wide-ranging civil rights investigation into the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. It comes amid allegations of excessive force, retaliation, and other misconduct at the nation's largest sheriff's agency. Many are saying that this is a major step toward addressing systemic problems at an agency whose leader, Sheriff Alex Villanueva, has been resistant to addressing such problems. KPCC's Frank Stoltz joins us for more. Uh, Frank, uh, first, uh, it sounds unusual. Is it unusual? Yeah, A, it is. Uh, usually this kind of investigation is done by federal Department of Justice, not the State Department of Justice. Uh, and, but those inquiries by the feds virtually stopped under President Trump, who believed they amounted to meddling in local police departments. So even though we have a new administration who may be inclined to investigate local police, Attorney General Becerra apparently did not think he could wait and launch this state probe into the Sheriff's Department. 
All right. So what exactly will the AG be investigating? Uh, first of all, uh, it's not a criminal investigation. It won't be looking at individual shootings, for example. Uh, this will look at whether the sheriff's department has engaged in a pattern or a practice of violating people's civil rights, patterns of excessive force, patterns or practices of unlawful arrests. So systemic violations of people's constitutional rights. Uh, a similar uh, federal investigation of the LAPD, you may remember, a following the Rodney King beating and the Rampart scandal, led to a legal settlement that forced that department to make major reforms. And the State Department of Justice has conducted similar investigations to other departments that led to agreements to change certain practices and policies. So this, this is a big deal. State or federal uh, DOJ going into a police department is a big deal. I got to admit, Frank, I can't wait to hear this. Uh, what was uh, Alex Villanueva's reaction? Well, he said he looks forward to the investigation in the interest of transparency and accountability. Uh, he added that his department may finally have an impartial, objective assessment of its operations. Uh, you know, A, that's typical of the sheriff. He's viewed any criticism of him or the department as biased ever since he took office, going so far as to suggest there's a political conspiracy against him by the Board of Supervisors and others. And we have to say he has actively worked to block oversight launching a criminal investigation into the uh, county inspector general, refusing to submit to subpoenas from the Civilian Oversight Commission. Uh, I must say, though, A, the state attorney general will be harder to ignore. Didn't he say once, Frank, that the only person he answers to is the attorney general of the state? Yeah, and now he has a chance. Yeah, I, I, I could have sworn <laughs> we both talked about this a few months ago. So what's been the reaction from the community on this? Uh, I think there's a sense of relief among those who've been trying to uh, address problems at the department. Uh, Inspector General Huntsman said he was deeply gratified that the attorney general has opened the investigation, pledged to work cooperatively with state investigators. The Civilian Oversight Commission issued a statement welcoming this important inquiry as a step toward realizing our collective goal of a department that is transparent and accountable. And former federal judge Robert Bonner, uh, you've heard from him before, eh? once ran the DEA, a law enforcement, uh, law and order Republican, uh, said he hoped the investigation would finally bring uh, changes to the troubled department. And he said he especially hoped that the State Department of Justice would look at the problem of deputy subgroups or gangs inside the department, which have encouraged excessive force and other illegal behavior. All right. So what happens next? Uh, Attorney General uh, could be expected to send a team of investigators to look at the documents, talk to deputies, commanders, quiz other law enforcement players in L.A., and to talk to community leaders about the sheriff's department. Uh, if they do it like the feds do, they will be extremely thorough. Uh, this could take many months or longer. Uh, much of it a, may depend on the extent to which Sheriff Villanueva and his commanders cooperate and the extent to which state investigators will have to rely on subpoenas to find out what they need to know. All right, that's KPCC's Frank Stoltz. Frank, thank you as always. Thank you, Ed. All right, let's turn now to a few messages we've received from you, our listeners. For the past few weeks, we've been asking you to call in and tell us how you're doing, how you're feeling. And yesterday, we asked you to share how you're feeling as we enter the Biden-Harris administration. And a lot of you called in to express your emotions. So let's take a listen. My name is Lisa, and I'm calling from the Inland Empire, and I am so elated with the new administration. I'm very hopeful. I think that it was refreshing to hear somebody that would speak with content and substance and unity and hope for our country. So I'm looking forward to the next four years. My name is Sarah. I'm calling from Redondo Beach, California. I'm feeling hopeful. I'm feeling optimistic about day one of the Biden-Harris administration. Biden was not my first choice, but I am very excited to see what his administration can do, what changes it can make for our society, for race relations, for the climate. And I'm incredibly excited that we finally have our first female vice president. My name is Robert Horsting. I'm calling from Glendale, California. I'm filled with so much hope and really, really happy for this change in administration. 
and just the idea that I really feel that these are people that are in place that really love and care about our nation and that uh, I think great things lie ahead even though the challenges are vast and it'll take a long time to straighten out the mess. That was Take Two listeners Lisa, Sarah, and Robert, and we'll be hearing from a few more listeners a little later, so stay tuned. All right, you probably have vaccine rollout questions. I know you've got vaccine rollout frustrations. I think we all do, but uh, I'm sure you have a lot of questions as well. I have a ton of questions, and I actually work here at a news organization. So that's how weird it's been to have this rollout happen and still have all of the same questions in mind. We're going to get to all of those when Take Two continues. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. Back now with more Take Two on 89.3 KPCC and streaming on the KPCC app, Ami Martinez. There have been a a number of developments around the vaccine rollout here in L.A. County, and y'all have a lot of questions. So do I. So to catch us up and to answer some of these questions, we have with us KPCC health reporter Jackie Fortier. Now, Jackie, uh, now that people 65 and older can get vaccinated earlier than initially planned, how might this affect the rollout and the timetable for everyone else to uh, get the vaccine? Well, this week, California's epidemiologist said it could take until June just to vaccinate everyone over the age of 65 in the state. Now, we need to remember California does have the largest population of any state in the nation. But Dr. Pan said that timetable would push vaccines back for everyone else by about four months based on the current rate. L.A. County is still working its way through health workers and seniors. That could all, of course, change if we get more doses, which is something the Biden administration is looking to ramp up. Now, got to ask then, because L.A. County Health Director Barbara Ferrer has expressed concern about having enough vaccines available. So how might this affect supply? I mean, we're going to have enough for everyone to get the two required shots through, say, February. I mean, there are not enough vaccines to meet the demand anywhere in the country. Uh, Here's the current situation in L.A. Public health officials like Barbara Ferrer have told us that L.A. County needs more than four million doses to provide the two dose vaccine to all healthcare workers. Then an additional one point three million doses for people 65 and older. So far, the county has only received about eight hundred and fifty four thousand doses. So we'll be getting more next week. We get more every week. But 70% of next week's supply is going to be used for second doses for healthcare workers and other people who qualify right now. County health officials say that that will leave only about 37,000 shots for seniors and healthcare workers who still need the first dose. 
So here's the deal. Unlike in other places, L.A. County is prioritizing vaccinating people fully with both doses. So they're going for full vaccination rather than quantity. Pasadena and Long Beach Public Health Departments are vaccinating as many people as possible. They've gone the opposite direction, banking on the idea that they will get more vaccine in about a month when those people need their second shot. It is a gamble. We will see if they end up getting enough vaccine to make it work. I was hoping not to hear the word gamble with vaccine, (laughs) but that's where we are now. President Biden was pretty frank yesterday about how there wasn't much of a federal plan in place for getting this vaccine out. Uh, So I guess not that surprising, but uh, still it's worrying that his administration needs to start from scratch, it seems. So how much is this going to be a factor? I mean, it's a huge factor. Under the Trump administration, it was really left up to the state to distribute the vaccines. Uh, Biden is taking a much more hands-on approach. Frankly, it'd be hard for him to take a more hands-off approach, but that would take time. Uh, There's talk of standing up FEMA-led mass vaccination sites. Um, You know, L.A. County is actually unique in that we even have mass vaccination sites. Most places don't. Biden is also trying to ramp up vaccine production, but that will require Congress to pass this funding bill and Congress is not known for uh, its speed. Now, Jackie, now uh, to listener questions, most of them seem to be about uh, the second shot. So if people go in and get the first dose of vaccine, what should they ideally find out about getting the second one that's uh, that's required? Well, okay, both of the vaccines that are available right now require two doses a few weeks apart in order for them to be completely effective. The Pfizer vaccine is 21 days. The Moderna vaccine requires 21.8 days between the shots. Uh, You should get both of the shots. You should receive a card when you get your first shot that tells you the date and the brand of the vaccine that you got and then when you need to get the second dose. It's important that you get the same brand of the vaccine for both shots. So either get Pfizer or Moderna twice. Uh, The vaccination process has been very haphazard, to say the least, and fragmented. Um, It's very frustrating. Ideally, people would be signed up for a second vaccine appointment when they get their first one, but that is not happening right now. Yeah, a lot of listeners wrote in to say they did not get info about that second shot. Yeah, that's unfortunately not surprising. Um, I think we've heard from from quite a few people, uh, you know, every 30 minutes, I think I get another question like this. But really, the best guidance we have right now is to reach out to the agency or the person where you got the first dose to see if they can help. Uh, We are trying to get more clarity, believe me, and I will bring it to you when we have it. Some providers are giving the vaccine to their patients. So check with your doctor's office. The the county isn't the only way to get it. Um, You can also go to vaccinate.com. LACounty.com to make an appointment, or for people who don't have the internet, you can call 833-540-0473 between 8 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. We have all of this information on our website as well, LAS.com. California Governor Gavin Newsom is supposed to unveil a new vaccine appointment website soon. We were told this week, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen today. So we're expecting some updates that will hopefully answer some more of those questions. Let me give that number again, 833-540-0473 or lacounty.com. Jackie, so many questions, uh, questions that we don't have answers to yet. So how concerned should we be that there are still so many questions? Yeah, and, and the website is actually vaccinatelacounty.com. Just want to make that clear. Um, yeah, there's a ton of confusion. And frankly, we really should have been better prepared. We knew the vaccine rollout was coming. But I do think it's important to remember that this is the largest vaccination push in history. Each tier in California and in LA is millions and millions of people because we live in a very densely populated place. Um, I talked to other public radio reporters in other parts of the country, and the vaccine rollout out is not going well anywhere, and people are extremely frustrated. Uh, I think the problem comes when people get fed up and then disregard the fact that the virus is still being transmitted. So I would ask, please, not to fall down on your precautions now. Keep wearing your mask, and I will do my best to keep trying to get you some answers. Jackie, what's your uh, cat's name? Uh, my cat's name is Chaska, and she thinks it's time to be fed. I apologize. Go feed Chaska. That's uh, KPCC's <laughs> Jackie Fortier. Thank you uh, for your reporting. Thanks.
Well, we're 22 days into 2021, but this year has already been pretty intense, and we want to know how you're feeling, L.A. This week, people called into our voicemail to share their reactions to the change of leadership in the White House. Here's what uh, some of you had to say. My name's Alex Mendoza, and I just want to say that I used to tune into the news every day, almost like a compulsion to find out what kind of a mess we were in as Americans for the day. And this morning I got up and I didn't need to check on anything. <laughs> feel like a million bucks. Hi, it's Liz calling from Los Angeles. I am feeling amazingly relieved, but at the same time exhausted. It's funny. I think I just feel like I can actually rest instead of being anxiety driven. Hey there, my name is Taylor Lane, 27, lifelong Angelino. And this morning I was just watching the coronavirus task force and I honestly started laughing to myself in, in a sigh of relief and joy to just know that, you know, a level of transparency and honesty uh, w- was brought forth. And uh, I look forward to what's going to happen and you know uh it's politics we'll see what promises end up playing but i think we're in a lot better field than we would be if it was the alternative administration thanks all right one small note for alex mendoza we still want you to check in to the news do it here at 89.3 kpcc we'll keep you sane and informed and if you want to let us uh, know how you're feeling about the new administration or life in la during COVID, please leave us a voicemail that number is 626-583-5281 626-583-5281 more take two coming up in about 60 seconds stay with us I'm LA's food editor, Gab Chabran. So we are going to do the chicken katsu damburi. A taco is not just a taco. A pizza is not just a pizza. And noodles aren't just noodles. We focus on all natural ingredients, okay? Everything is by hand. I explore how food connects us to the social fabric of Southern California. Vietnamese sandwich shop here on the corner of Ford and North Broadway in Chinatown. And tells the region's story. LA's independent journalism, fact-based journalism. Back now with more Take Two on 89.3 KPCC. I'm A. Martinez. Now, earlier we got an update on what's going on with the coronavirus vaccine rollout in L.A. County. Right now, many of those big vaccination sites we've talked about here require a car so you can drive up and just get a shot. But what if you do not have such a ride? To discuss this dilemma, we turn to Juliette Bennett-Ryla. She is the editor-in-chief of We Like LA, a hyper-local news outlet focused on arts, culture, food, and events in Los Angeles. She's also a car-free Angelino. Now, Juliette, I wasn't just like pointing at you saying, hey, Juliette doesn't have a car just out of, you know, out of spite or anything like that. It's part of why you're here. Now, right off the top, uh, you know, you're neither a frontline worker nor are you 65 years old old or older since uh, you're not in line for a vaccine anytime soon what was it that gave you the idea to investigate this issue right now about not having or figuring out how to get the vaccine without a car combination of things i think for one i was just curious as to where i might get a vaccine when it is my turn i'd also seen tweets from people about being turned away from dodger stadium because they arrived on a bicycle and i'm not sure if that was for a test or a vaccine but i do know that especially early on i did have issues finding a good metro accessible testing site and i also just write a lot of simple informational posts discussing things like how to register for a test or what the current health order entails and stuff like that so it really is the kind of thing that i would have been looking up any Anyhow, I think with um, 
a little firsthand experience being someone who doesn't drive. Yeah, and LA has a, a long controversial history of catering to car drivers. Uh, for a lot of a lot of history there. Um, so I'm wondering, what did you learn from public officials when you asked about them about accessing the uh, vaccine car free? So the first email I received just confirmed that the county's five megapods did require a car, but that they were working on adding access. I know they did have some issues with the high winds. They had to um, shut down one site uh, in Disneyland. They had to shut down for a couple of days. So that definitely caused some additional challenges there. Um, A later email pointed to two walk-up sites that you can access right now. That's the Balboa Sports Complex in Encino and the El Sereno Recreation Center. Uh, The same website where you can register for either of those vaccine centers also lists five test sites run by LA City Fire Department, one's Dodger Stadium, which is a drive-through, but the other four you don't need a car to use. That website also has a handful of hospitals and clinics. Now, some of these facilities are not open for registration yet, or they are full, but I did manage to get two on the phone, one in Culver City and the Kedron Community Center, and both of those you don't need a car. And right now, one of the big challenges is, of course, the vaccine supply. And it looks like once we get more of the vaccine, a lot of grocery stores and pharmacies are going to open up, and that's likely to really offer a lot of walkable options in many neighborhoods. I also received an email from LA County Emergency Operations earlier today saying that the larger network will also include healthcare organizations like Kaiser and Providence. And I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly what that entails, but I do know Kaiser does have a huge presence right next to the Metro Red Line, so it really seems like. Right now, it's kind of just a matter of being patient and waiting for our vaccine supply to increase so that more sites can open up. Yeah, maybe just a matter of time. Um, Did they say anything about the alternative, um, like, say, enlisting Uber or Lyft drivers to maybe get you to a vaccine distribution center and then waiting in their car with them as as you get the (laughs) vaccine? I mean, what what do you make of uh, that as a possibility? Yeah, so that was mentioned uh, by a few people. And it was also mentioned um, during the town hall that the county did. Uh, I don't think anyone thinks that that's an ideal solution, um, but it is an option. Uh, It's a little tricky. It would require you to have a smartphone to be able to download the app. And then, of course, you would have to pay for the ride. And hopefully you don't end up in a situation where you are waiting in line for four hours. I know that happened to some people at Dodger Stadium. Um, There are long wait times. Um, I think if you did call an Uber and that happened to you, it would be pretty expensive and maybe a little awkward. And I also think it's kind of weird that you would hire someone to drive you to get a vaccine and you would wait in line with them for a really long time. And yet they're they're not eligible to get one. Um, so, yeah, not an ideal solution, but it is a possibility. Unless you can coordinate appointment. But, yeah, that's even that's even more difficult. Mm-hmm. We're speaking to Juliet Bennett, uh, Ryla, editor in chief of We Like L.A. about accessing uh, the COVID-19 vaccine when you don't have a car. Uh, what about places where. You could walk to get a vaccine appointment. Are there options like that in and around where you live? For me, no. I live in Koreatown, uh, pretty close to Hancock Park, actually. My closest option is a clinic in Pico Union. That's about a 3.5-mile walk. We're about 45 minutes on public transit, and that's according to Google Maps transit data. 45 minutes, honestly, is not that bad to get somewhere on a bus in L.A. Um, There's also another clinic in West Hollywood. It's technically further from me, but would also take about 45 minutes by bus. Um, It doesn't look like that one has appointments yet. Um, So those are the clinic options. None of the county-run testing sites are anywhere near me, but... If we opened up the Ralphs and the Vons and things like that, my nearest Ralphs is about a 15-minute walk. And also, um, as I said before, that Kaiser is right by the Metro Red Line. Um, And the Ralphs that's by me is right across the street from the Purple Line. So those would really open up a lot of walkable options, I think. Julia, what do you think, you know, this tells you about who the county had in mind when they were creating this vaccine rollout plan? Um, I think maybe they... uh, I think they truly do want to make it an accessible program that is as smooth as possible. And I do realize it's a massive undertaking with a lot of challenges, including the vaccine shortage. Um, So maybe it was just, let's get this up and running as quickly as possible. Um, I don't think that they were intentionally trying to exclude anyone. I just think that it would help to talk about accessibility and their messaging early on, maybe to just include in an FAQ or in your first press release. Hey, we know some of you don't drive, so here's what's in the pipeline for you, even if we can't do it right now. And I think that goes for all accessibility issues, really. All right, that's uh, Juliette Bennett-Ryla, Editor-in-Chief of We Like LA. Uh, Juliette, thank you very much. Thank you.
All right, finally, as we look toward the weekend, we want to give you some advice in case your events calendar is looking bone dry. I'm KPCC's Leo Duran. And A. Martinez, the pandemic is one reason to stay at home. But here's another. Starting today, it's going to start raining for the next week. Uh, One report I read actually says to expect two years worth of rain. So you might want to plan on one of these cool virtual events that you can be a part of this weekend from your couch. But what if I want to channel my inner Gene Kelly and be singing in the rain? Then you go ahead and do that. Just be prepared for pneumonia afterwards. <laughs> all right, all right, fine. Let's let's get back on track. Okay, just so just just in case folks don't want to feel totally isolated, what's something uh, that they can do maybe to have some human interaction? Well, you can do some group cooking courtesy of the Geffen Playhouse. Uh, if you remember, early in the pandemic, I got a chance to attend and report about their virtual and interactive magic show called The Present. They've actually expanded these kind of offerings, and one of which is called Bollywood Kitchen. It runs now through February 20th. Uh, how it works is that filmmaker and cookbook author Sri Rao presides over a dinner and a show. Uh, When you get your ticket, you'll be delivered the ingredients for a delicious Indian meal. Then during the show itself, you'll actually prepare it alongside Rao as he tells you the story about his family, the joy of Bollywood musicals, and also the meaning behind the dish. Now, if you are a klutz in the kitchen, there is hope. There are ticket options where you can actually just view and not cook. But either way, admission starts at $40. Food and storytelling, that's a great combination. All right, what about uh, something if I still want to feel like I'm out and about? Well, then you can take a virtual tour of downtown L.A. Tomorrow at 10 a.m., L.A. Art Tours hosts a one-hour virtual version of its walking tour to see and learn all about the graffiti and murals in the Arts District. It's guided by this graffiti artist, so you can learn more about the art form and how graffiti has transformed the feeling of the neighborhood for the better. You'll also be sent PDFs of the art beforehand, so you can get a chance to get a closer look at them. And when you go, it's actually free with an RSVP. All right, Leo, so what's uh, another event uh, that I could do that'll keep me entertained when it starts to rain? Well, how about a little Mozart to go with that pitter-patter? Because this Sunday evening at 6, LACMA hosts a birthday celebration for the composer. It'll be streaming an encore presentation of the American Youth Symphony's performance of String Quartet No. 18 in G major. Plus, the Capital Ensemble will also perform, and they'll be doing Symphonia Concertante in E-flat major. For all that, it's online and it's all free. Now, Leo, for some people, the rain uh, brings them down. It uh, just kind of just bums them out. So what's uh, one more event that can pick someone's mood way up? Then celebrate this amazing TV show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I just happened to re-binge it a few months ago, (laughs) and it's been a real mood booster. Uh, For people who haven't seen it, it's almost like a cartoon movie musical with an R-rated twist. And this weekend, there's a watch party with the cast and creators. So watching it with you will be Rachel Bloom herself, as well as co-creator Aline Brosh-McKenna, alongside stars Donna Lynn Champlin and Scott Michael Foster. So here's the deal, though. The live part actually happened about 90 minutes ago. So this is going to be a recording that you can watch whenever you are ready. It's $20 to take part and feel good about it because all the money raised will go towards sending cookies and cards to LA's frontline ICU workers. Now, there are still a bunch more events to go to online or if you did want to venture out into the rain safely within the bubble of your car. You can find out what you can do this weekend by heading to our site, Elias.com. That's L-A-I-S-T dot com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Leo Has a Cat. That's KPCC's Leo Duran. Leo, thanks a lot. See you later, eh? All right, what a way to end the week. I feel pretty good about today's take two. You should too. Take a listen. Go wherever you get your podcasts there. We will be waiting to be heard by you. You can also find us on Twitter at Take Two. I'm there as well, at LA. That's good for Twitter and Instagram for your social media convenience. Thanks for listening. Thanks for trusting us with your time. Take Two is back Monday at 2.